Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. The psychology of lying. First off, you have to be honest with yourself about what is a lie. It's General Conference Saturday, and this is a special presentation of the Dave and Dujanovic Show about lies, little and big. This hour, the webs we weave. Here's Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic on KSL News Radio. We owe the next hour of conversation to New York Congressman George Santos flipping a blue seat to red when he got elected to the House of Representatives. I kept the campaign about the people. I spoke to the people. The campaign was for the people. But not long after, journalists began uncovering he was speaking lies to voters, like his claim of attending college, only he didn't. In fact, TV host Piers Morgan confronted Santos about all this in his TV show, Uncensored. Why would you lie about something like that? Expectation on society, the pressure. Couldn't afford it. He's not a banker either. Never worked at Citigroup or Goldman Sachs like he claimed. No proof of the pet-saving charity he was supposedly heading up. And when he got questioned about being Jewish, his comeback went something like this. No, 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 no. I didn't mean to say I'm Jewish. I'm Jew-ish. You know, kind of like when you're hungry, you're hungry-ish. Enter our own U.S. Senator Mitt Romney, who spotted Santos with a very sought-after seat at the President's State of the Union address, and the confrontation was on over, you guessed it, the lies. He's a sick puppy. Uh, he, he, shouldn't be, he shouldn't be there. Later, we'll ask psychologist Tom Golightly about lying inside our homes and what drives our children and significant others to lie to us and the action steps we should take when confronting it. But first... We'll discuss the psychology of lying to get a job with retired FBI special agent Todd Palmer. When it comes to lying and detecting lies, we felt it might be best to start the conversation with a retired FBI special agent, Dave. Yeah, Todd Palmer joins us right now, joins the conversation. You are a human lie detector for the FBI. What is a, how do I even say this, polygrapher? Yes. Polygrapher? So, uh... They prefer, or we kind of preferred, because that word gets a little convoluted, polygraph examiner. So polygraph examiner, um, human lie detector, no. Uh, we, I would like to pretend that were the case. Uh, people ask me that all the time. Can I tell that somebody's lying? No. What does a polygraph examiner do for the FBI? So let's start there. Okay. So the FBI's polygraph program is used for veracity testing. They use it for uh, pre-employment investigation. So if you want to work for the FBI, you have to pass a polygraph examination. Uh, we also would do what were called national security exams. So if you worked for the FBI every couple of years, you'd have the opportunity to sit down and go through a polygraph exam to ensure that you were maintaining the standards required for your national security clearance. Uh, so there were screening exams for people that wanted to come in. You had the national security exams for folks that still worked for the FBI. And then we did what were called operational exams. So you would go out and conduct uh, polygraph examinations on individuals that were either involved or accused of being involved in criminal behavior. Define a lie for us. Because when my wife asked me if, if I like this dress or these pants or whatever, and I might, I don't want to say lie about it, 
is it a lie if I'm like, oh, no, they look great. So I think that we overuse the word lie and the term liar way too much. Um, When you think about what a lie actually is, if you called somebody a liar, there's a visceral response that you get there. People get kind of bristled. Oh, my gosh, you called me a liar. But the reality of it is, is everybody does lie. And so if you take that word lie and you, you really break it down, first off, you have to be honest with yourself about what is a lie. And if you understand what a lie is, it's just asserting something that you believe to be true when, in fact, it may be untrue or less true. And so when somebody says you're lying, for me, if I'm conducting an interview with somebody and I want to assess, are you being honest? Are you lying to me? What is the intent and purpose of what it is that they're saying? Is their intent to absolutely deceive you for personal gain or personal benefit? Are they trying to convince you that what they're saying is absolutely true, unequivocally, without any chance of being false, for personal gain? So for me, a lie is something that somebody says that they know is not true for their own personal gain or own personal benefit. They know it's not true. They're trying to convince you that it is because they hope to gain something by what it is that they're saying. Which brings us to... New York Representative George Santos, who is notoriously now known for telling a string of lies to get himself, potentially get himself elected to Congress, or at least tell voters, like, look, I did this and I did that. You know, I went to a university when I didn't. I worked for Goldman Sachs when he didn't. And all these other, quote unquote, lies. Why, in your experience, would he tell so many lies? Does that go to the for personal gain issue? Absolutely. I, I think some people get lost in their own story to the point that they repetitively say things to ingratiate themselves with others, to make themselves look better. So not only do you have to look at what is a lie, but what is the motivation behind the lie? A lot of times people will say something that is not necessarily true with the intention just to make whatever happened disappear, go away, be gone. And then that lie gains legs and it grows and it begets more lies and begets more lies and more lies to the point that somebody now has created this entire persona that they want people to see. A lot of times we as humans are very, very good at projecting an image we want people to believe while knowing that's not who we are. So I don't know this gentleman, but in his particular case, if his aspiration was to become a politician and he knew that he didn't have the credentials to do so, then he's going to start fabricating base layers of believability that lends credibility to him and his story that then get other people to tell people, hey, this is a good guy. He did this. He did that. He has these credentials. As humans, we like to believe the information that's coming into us. And if we get some kind of assertion that that information is credible, we don't even check it. We just accept it based on our own either confirmation biases that we've had throughout our history or our preconceived notions or the experiences that we've had, we'll take things at face value for being true based on foundation that to us or we've been pre-programmed to already believe culturally. Can you tell a lie so many times that you honestly start believing it? In my experience, absolutely. And I think if we look at ourselves individually, and you'll hear me say that a lot, because I think if you really want to understand what is a lie, you have to look at yourself and ask yourself, What are things that you do in your daily basis that you no longer consider lies? These are part of who I am. They're not necessarily untruthful, but they're not 100% true. And then you put it out there and other people pick up on it. 
and they grow that story, and then the story continues to grow. So you justify to yourself, well, I didn't, I didn't say that. Here's what I said, or here's what I meant, and those people took it two steps further. But the person that initially told the story did absolutely nothing. They just let the narrative grow. In that case, yes, we convince ourselves we didn't tell a lie. We believe what we said. You, on the other hand, took that and grew it. It's not my fault. We're speaking right now to retired FBI special agent. He was also a polygraph examiner with the FBI when he served in the FBI for more than 20 years, Todd Palmer. I want to ask you this. Let's save this discussion for after the break. Is there any way at all that just the general public, the people who've never sat on a polygraph exam before or sat in an interrogation room with a suspect could tell that somebody is lying? That conversation next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Be sure you're listening for the biggest news stories of the day from two longtime Utah journalists, Dave and Janovic. They're back on Monday from 9 to noon on KSL News Radio. We're joined by retired FBI special agent Todd Palmer, who served as a polygraph examiner in the FBI. We're speaking to him because lies have become top of news lately, Dave all thanks to Representative of New York, George Santos, who was confronted not too long ago by our very own Utah Senator Mitt Romney at the State of the Union address all over those lies. He's a sick puppy. He shouldn't be, he shouldn't be there. You said George Santos, but I think the actual full name is George Liar Liar Pants on Fire Santos, the lioness congressman I've ever heard of. And that is saying something, right? Retired Special Agent Todd Palmer, let's bring you back into this conversation. So somebody like George Santos goes around and he campaigns to win a congressional seat that pays a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. And somewhere along the way, he has managed to convince a swath of voters in New York that he's their guy through a whole host of stories and now what has been revealed through several national news organizations as a series of lies. Is there a way for the general public to know when somebody's lying? I believe so. I think that if you look introspectively and maybe into your close relationships, family, friends, spouses, we usually know if somebody that we're close to is not necessarily being honest. And a lot of that has to do with personal behavior. When you're looking at a person and you're trying to assess deception, you have to kind of take the whole person approach and look at them and look for clusters of behaviors, things that they're saying. Do they add up? Do they not add up? 
what are the individuals that are pushing their credibility, how credible are those folks. In order to assess the truthfulness of any statement, you as an individual have to be a little bit skeptical. You have to do your own research and you have to ask yourself, and silly as this sounds, is what this person saying way too good to be true? Because it's my belief that if a person makes themselves appear infinitely better than what you really initially perceive, then they're trying to cast this spell, for lack of a better word, this perception of who they are, what they want you to believe, to hide or mirror who they really are behind it. Think of all the times in your life where you said, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person did that. This person is so good. I'm a little jaded and I'm a little biased when I hear that statement. I always say, no, you now finally got to see that person for who they really are, who they wanted you to believe they were based on whether it's your inherent biases that we all have or maybe this confirmation bias that you've dealt with throughout your life. You accepted what this person said as gospel because you never looked behind that magic curtain. You never looked behind to see who this person really was. As a professional lie detector, have you lost your faith in humanity? No, no. By and large, uh, I deal with people on a very regular basis. The large majority of people are inherently good, in my opinion. They want to do good things. They want to do great things. Sadly, uh, the images that were presented by most people that are loud are just not true. I think that's part of the problem of understanding truth from fiction is the narratives that are being pushed out there cause us to just give up. We no longer want to question things. We no longer want to be skeptical because we either believe everything is bad or everything is good. Things are nuanced. Are there certain things we do with our body language that could indicate we're not being truthful? So we all know that the large majority of human communication is body language. It's nonverbal. There are tells, but to say that if a person does this, they have to be lying. Or like I've heard eye shifting. Oh, yeah. if they're shifting their eyes, they're definitely and, lying. And there are a lot of different studies out there that indicate that that is not necessarily truthful. If you go back to what I said initially about just verbal cues, you're looking for clusters. What are they saying? What are they doing? What is going on at this moment? There are, however, in, in my opinion, and I've seen over the years, when your body's trying to dump stress, it does weird things. People will, will move in ways that, that don't appear to be normal. Uh, you can ask them to hold still and they can't. Now, some people are just fidgety. But if, if you're asking a person, hey, I need you to hold still for a minute or, hey, stop doing this, and these behaviors still continue, perhaps their body is just trying to burn off that excess stress. As a law enforcement officer, if somebody was coming in knowing they were coming in for a polygraph examination, whether it was an applicant or an employee or somebody in an operational setting, if the first thing they did was come in and give me a compliment, um, hey, you look very nice today or I like your suit or your shoes are really cool – you're here to talk to me about something that's uncomfortable. Why would you in this setting come in and say that? You, none of us go to our doctor and walk into the doctor's office for an exam and say, hey, doc, you look sexy today. That's just absolutely outside the norm. And so when I talk about clusters, if whether it's verbal behaviors or personal behaviors or outside the norm for the setting in which you're meeting this person, you should probably start thinking this person's not necessarily going to be truthful. Straight ahead, we're going to talk to psychologist Tom Golightly about lying in our homes and to our significant other. 
The psychology of lying. First off, you have to be honest with yourself about what is a lie. It's General Conference Saturday, and this is a special presentation of the Dave and Dujanovic Show about lies, little and big. This hour, the webs we weave. Here's Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic on KSL News Radio. We spoke with retired FBI Special Agent Todd Palmer about lying to get elected, lying to get a job, given the revelations that New York Congressman George Santos concocted his resume as he ran for the House of Representatives. Now let's talk about lying in the home. Like, how often does that happen from our kids to our significant others? BYU psychologist Dr. Tom Golightly joins us right now. Clinical professor, assistant director in athletics, licensed psychologist. You're joining our conversation. And uh, all right, let's start with the kids. When our kids lie to us, because uh, it never goes the other way around, right? Parents never lie to their kids. but it, <laughs> <coughs> Or Santa. to our spouses, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's it like when our kids lie to us? Is it a sign of, are they afraid of getting in trouble? Are they pushing boundaries? What, what are some of the things we learn when our kids are lying to us? It could be a couple of different things, but I think generally speaking, especially the earlier the ages, if you kind of catch them in in trying to mold how they're 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 explaining some things, they actually are just looking for approval, and so that uncertainty when when they don't know that that uh, approval that that love from the caregiver is unconditional. They want to control the situation to get that approval and that love. So they might kind of nudge a situation and kind of say, hey, like me still, even though I know this kind of bad thing happened, I really still need your approval. And so uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to grow up and be like the worst liar ever, right? But generally speaking, if it's a chronic pattern, it's usually about you know, I, I just want love and support and acceptance, and, and I feel a lot of shame around this, and I don't know how to ground myself there. Which brings us to our question about cheating in school. If they're cheating in school on a test or on an assignment or they're copying off their best buddy for all the answers, are they is that lying? And are they doing that to, to also win our approval? Well, I think we're getting at the topic of integrity as well, right? Uh, so it's pretty interesting. I think uh, what we try to avoid as as parents, or at least most of the parents that I know, they're not trying to to have kids that are basing their worth on achievement. But a lot of times we do base our worth on achievements. And I see this in adulthood. It's how much, how much uh, identity do I have wrapped up in my title or in the work that I do, or when I see someone get better in my practice, I'm really proud of that. And I'm excited about that. But what does it mean about me if they decide they don't like me as a psychologist? What does it mean about me if they're not getting better? And so when I'm a student and I need to pass the quiz, what does it say about myself if I'm not getting the A's, if I'm not getting the hundreds? Mm-hmm. So we might lie as as children to kind of put ourselves in a spot that it's like, no, I am competent. You can trust me. Uh, I am I am lovable. So what do we do as parents if if we understand – why kids are quote unquote lying, what's the appropriate response? So I think a big thing is to reinforce when they are honest. When they come home and they show you the bad grade, for example, like say, hey, thanks for showing me. You know, like, what can we do to support you, help you get better here? As opposed to, you know, why, why are the grades so bad? And it, 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 
you know, reinforce them being honest and open with that. Uh, likewise, and I know this happens sometimes. I've been the parent, and it's like, hey, I promise I won't get mad if someone owns up to this. And then, you're like, then you get mad. No, why did you break that? <laughs> and you just lied because you do get exactly. mad. Okay, and I'm like, great, that's a good lesson, right? Um, but I, I think reinforcing that and like, like pick your battle there. You know, if if like, thank you for telling me. Yes, we're going to have some consequences here, but I really want to honor that you were forthright with me and 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 upfront about about what you did. And I think we can do that. But all of this takes time. And I think that's where we struggle as parents is like we go to the quick thing and get on to the next thing that we have to worry about as adults. We do have to stop, pause a little bit, take the time to, to teach like, hey, let's 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 do the right thing. Do the honest thing. The 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 thing that shows integrity. Do little liars sometimes grow up into big liars as an adult liars or, or can kids outgrow it through parental interaction? I think most are going to outgrow it. Most are going to be able to, through that punishment and reinforcement, just natural consequences and natural reinforcers, they're going to realize like, hey, this isn't worth trying to paint myself in a certain light. I'm just, I'm going to go with, with the truth and be honest with people. And when you are reinforced in a way where you create a relationship that's awesome by being completely you, uh, there's nothing quite like that, but there are some that will that that they really struggle, and those they're typically they've got other behaviors going on other than lying. You you'd see some other outward kind of uh, conduct issues, uh, but but generally most children are gonna gonna grow out of that phase if it's handled pretty well, and they kind of know I have love, I have uh, some stability in my life. Let's give parents some tangibles that they can take away from this part of our discussion. If Dave were to go home and find out, I know this would never happen, one of your kids was being untruthful, what punishments are appropriate in the moment. What was it, Reagan or Bush that was trust but verify? Is that what it was? <laughs> like I think I think that's that's appropriate, right? I, I don't think we want to stunt too much of of what they're able to do and um what what research shows is that reinforcement changes behavior a lot more than punishment does. So can we find the right reinforcers for the individual? And it's hard to say for, for everyone listening out there what those reinforcers would be. Uh, but it's also okay to kind of say, hey, yeah, we still want you to do this, but you might have to check in a little bit more often because mm-hmm. we're not really trusting that you're going to be where you say you're going to be or that you're going to be home at the time that you said you were going to be home or or whatever it is that, that the lie might be. I think it's really important to to still give them areas to grow, still give them opportunities to tell the truth and to be honest and to risk in some ways. Uh, but but also to reinforce, you know, like, hey, there there's some accountability here. And I think that's the thing we're afraid of doing sometimes is we're afraid of that accountability. We want our kids to like us. We love them. And so we're a little afraid, like, you know, if I punish too hard, they're not going to like me. And there's a way to kind of ride uh, that line and dance that dance where we can't keep our children accountable without uh, being overly punishing. What about taking their cell phone because that, that's a that's a favorite move of parents kind of in my circles they're like you lost privileges but at the same time it's also what connects them to everything and that's that's the tricky part right um and and that's what, what i found uh, in in parenting if i took the phone away it was actually my punishment it right? wasn't their punishment it was yes. kind of awful um it, for those reasons i have to do homework on this this is how i kind of coordinate group projects different things i understand that 
Um, but limiting that, I think it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an all or none. But we're gonna we're gonna have some restriction on it for a time. Uh, then that's fine. But but we can't limit the functionality. I know if someone took my phone away, that's my office. Being respectful of that, you don't have to do all of the taking away. But you can kind of meet them in the middle and say, yes, you get it for school. But but we're gonna really curb some of how you're interacting on this phone. Right Enjoy now. your three minutes of TikTok <laughs> a day. <laughs> Next, how lying impacts personal relationships between significant others. And we'll ask Dr. Tom, what should we do if we catch the person we love most in a lie? Next. Return to the same station Monday morning for breaking news early in the morning. Then Dave Noriega and Debbie Dujanovic go in-depth with talk starting at 9 on KSL News Radio. Continuing our conversation about lying. I've always struggled, Dave, to forgive when... I find someone I trust more than anyone in the world has lied me, lied straight to my face. So we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Tom Golightly, BYU psychologist, about how we can deal with lying in our personal relationships when it comes to our significant other. I remember uh, you told me that one time you had somebody close to you lie to you and I could see it was over. Like There was no coming back from that. (laughs) And it was a lesson to me. I'm like... I don't care how bad the truth is, (laughs) Debbie, you're getting the truth from me no matter what. But it is. It's a breach of trust, but it happens. Yeah, it happens way too often. I hear it in my friend's circles. I read about it on social media where people feel um, like that that level of trust has just been destroyed, Dr. Tom. Why, Why is it so difficult for someone like me to and others to forgive and forget when there's significant other lies to them. When we have that critical incident and we do have that breach of trust, right? Vulnerability is vulnerability because it's risky. That means we're giving a part of ourselves that someone can really, really hurt. And and when they do hurt that, the emotion that I hear most often is lonely. I just feel so alone now. I, and it's, it's so hard. For yes, me. I feel like you, I have felt in the past like, I don't, do I even know this person? Right. And, 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 but yet you might be really close with that person. Yes. Right? And it's, and you're like, whoa, then you start to reevaluate how have I risked? How have I been vulnerable? Mm. And, and so we start to, to feel the fool in some ways and, and we own some of that. And, and, and that's why I think that's why we throw gaslighting out there, right? It's like, wow, you're making me feel crazy. And it's like, no, well, you are feeling a little crazy because we are looking at, what did I do? How did how did I contribute to not knowing and, and feeling? And even though intellectually we might understand it's not our fault, we feel like, oh, no, we had we had a hand in that. And that's the real battle when we're trying to get over that that trust. One of the worst lies uh, that I can think of is infidelity. Yeah. Uh, where you make the commitments and then all of a sudden someone cheats on on you. How do you come back from that? How do you process that? It's actually pretty common, um, unfortunately. Um, but what is also common that I don't think we talk a lot about is that a lot of marriages come back from it. And they are able to work through it. But the key word you use there is process. It's not an event. It's not, oh, now I trust you. I feel fine. It takes work. And there's a lot of of difficulty that needs to be overcome. I'd highly recommend working with a couples therapist and a couples therapist that 
that has significant experience with couples that have experienced infidelity, uh, they can kind of help work with some of those some of those common themes that would come up. But going back to that, I'm lonely. Like I'm alone in this struggle. And, and who would you normally go to for that support? Well, that person you go to, you don't trust. And now you're just kind of trying to go through it on your own. It, it can be a bear to really work through in those moments. We're speaking with Dr. Tom Golightly on the topic of lying um, in the home. We just spoke to you moments ago about what do you do when your kids lie? We're not talking about when your significant other lies. We spoke earlier uh, to Special Agent Todd Palmer, and he was a polygraph examiner for the FBI for a number of years. And something he said about lying really stood out to, I think, both Dave and I, and that is like, when people lie, it's generally for personal gain. In a personal relationship, what is the purpose of lying? Is it for personal gain as well, just in a different arena? In some ways, yes. Uh, there are a lot of different reasons to kind of put out that, that white lie or even the big lie. But sometimes it is for personal gain. I don't want the embarrassment of being known as the person that was unfaithful, right? And that can be... That can be one of the reasons. I don't want my uh, spouse to think poorly of me because I lost my job. I don't – you know, those big lies, it's do you really trust that that person cares for you unconditionally? And, and, and so you are being selfish in that. The tricky part about being in a relationship is you're not always – concerned about your needs. And I think that's what the healthy relationship is, is, you know, I am concerned about about uh, my spouse, my wife and her needs. And I'm happy about that. That part of that makes me happy and provides me some some meaning. Um, but if I get too focused on my needs and what where I, what I'm not getting in the relationship, that's that's kind of when relationships are starting to to fall apart a little bit. Calling somebody a liar. That's a triggering word. Mm. Right. If you call somebody a liar. Is there a way to phrase it or to challenge someone if you think that they're not being entirely truthful? Well, and I think that's as, – as a therapist, I'm not going to say I think you're a liar. But yeah. I'm like, hey, I feel like I'm getting a, a, a version of this story, right, that I am not fully on board with. Like I feel like there are other aspects, there are things that I'm not being told here. Um, and, and with a child, with a spouse, it can also just be, you know, I don't believe this part right here and it's okay to kind of be direct. I trust you. I love you. I care about you and I want to hear what's really going on. Right. So I'm not going to put the label on them and that's, that's not really helpful for any argument or for any uh, disagreement that we're having in a relationship, but be honest to what's, what's happening and what's on the table right at that moment. Then we can kind of deal with it and manage it as it goes along without being accusational. You said earlier that what we don't talk about often enough is when it comes to infidelity, there are many couples who stay together. They work through the process and they get through it, which makes me hopeful that liars or somebody who has lied can change their behaviors as an adult. Yes, I think that's part of the difficulty in working through it and why I think a skilled therapist and working with a third party would be really, really helpful is because that's that takes time and that's delicate and, and there are going to be ups and downs with that and there are going to be times when both are on board with that process and one might be one time, one might be another time 
but it is possible and it is is doable as long as you're willing to put in the work and uh, there's some humility involved with the person that's caught in the lie owning up to it and saying I'm not going to do this again and I'm going to respect the boundaries uh, that we're trying to set together. Dr. Tom Golightly, thank you for joining us. Licensed psychologist uh, comes to us via BYU, uh, where your your full-time job is. Uh, Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.